0: I'm Bailey.
1: And I'm Katie.
0: Welcome to Pro's Tinted Glasses. Uh Bruce would like to put his introduction in as well, as he is now looking Katie's face.
1: Oh my face. gosh. Bruce. So I um there's a big pool party going outside. I live right next to the pool. Bruce, you're humping. Stop it. I'm <laughs> in <laughs> Bud! Uh, there's a big pool party going outside. outside my window, and so it was very loud, so I am recording on the floor of my closet, and my dog thinks that any time flo- I'm on the floor is exclusively to entertain him. Um, So he's going to be a little bit of a nuisance today, I think, but I think most of it's going to be cute. We'll do our best. Where were we?
0: Welcome welcome to Pro's Tinted Glasses. Yes, we can just start from Welcome to Pro's Tinted Glasses. Uh, <laughs> today, we're going to talk about revisiting some old favorites and reading some new books as not necessarily the intended audience. And by that, I mean, we're going to talk about some new young adult books uh, that we read for the first time, and then we'll touch on some Young adult and middle grade books that we have reread as adults just recently, and talk about how they hold up and what we thought about them going through them as adults.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. I've been reading, I mean, I don't feel like I ever really stopped reading YA as a genre, even as I got older. I still think that those stories are really rich and interesting, and they get to be creative in a way that I feel like quote unquote adult books often don't get to be unless they're, like, shunted off into genre fiction.
0: Right. I also clearly still read YA. I mean, we've covered a fair amount of YA novels on this podcast already. Actually, I think we have covered more young adult than we strictly have adult.
1: Uh, I feel like that's, I feel like that's probably because we're, like, kind of coming at it from a fandom perspective, and um, what fandoms are more rabid than fandoms for young adults and full of young adults.
0: My only counterpoint is Outlander. Yeah, that's fair. Outlander aside, (laughs) you're right. The culture of adult books doesn't foster the same intensity as a lot of these YA books do, and part of that is because uh, the nature of the adult audience just tends to lead to less of that obsession. Um, But Mm -hmm. still. One of the things that I kept coming back to while we were rereading some of these books and talking about different things is the concept of a comfort book, which I'm sure if you're in online spaces at all, you know about, like, comfort books or comfort shows. The thing that you just watch or read when you want something mindless to come back to, you already know what happened, it's not complicated, and it just makes you feel like you're in a slightly better space. Um, And I think for a lot of adults, especially those of us who grew up in the time when YA was really booming and becoming a big thing, a lot of our comfort books are YA books.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it tends to be that stuff that takes you back to a time in your life where things were simpler. And I feel like even people that had harder childhoods, you know, once you get to adulthood, there's... There's a lot of great things about being adult an adult, but there's also just a lot more stuff you have to focus on and, and, um, like do just to survive. And going back and and reading those things and getting back into that headspace of a time when you felt safer and less complicated is just really nice.
0: Right. So that's one of the things when it comes to rereading that. The rereading is not always intended to learn something new or see something through a new lens. It's to come back to something that helps you feel in a better place than maybe you are. I know I have comfort books that I reread a lot. Um, Outlander being one of them, <laughs> I'm not going to lie.
1: Yeah, is that one of your, what are your other big comfort reads?
0: Um, I'm looking at my bookshelf. Trying to decide I'm what i'm pulling I
1: th- up I'm pulling up my audible shelf too so that I can answer my own question.
0: what I would count as that i mean, I think that I tend to skip around a lot within the middle grade and y a books that I read um it between the years of like two thousand five and two thousand eleven I would say so so like I've reread Aragon a number of times um I've reread Scott Westerfeld's Uglies series. A number of times i obviously have reread harry potter a lot though you know recently the relationship for a lot of people with the harry potter series has changed that has affected me as well
1: yeah definitely i would have said you know up to a few years ago harry potter was definitely my greatest comfort read and i think it's still gonna occupy part of that space but Having really had to come to terms with who J.K.R. is as a person in the past few years has definitely tainted that um, and affected how I engage with the series.
0: Absolutely. And I don't really intend for this episode to become a discussion about that, which is why I didn't lead off with Harry Potter, even though for a very long time it was like the book that I reached for.
1: I'd say probably outside of Harry Potter, actually scrolling through my... Bookshelves. The things that I find myself going back to are not as much YA as I would have expected. Um, I go back to Game of Thrones pretty often, and also um, the Patrick Rothfuss one,
0: King Killer Chronicles. Uh,
1: Kingkiller Chronicle. Mm-hmm. Jonks. And uh, now we
0: have to explain Jonks to our listeners.
1: <laughs> Listen, in our friend group, typos become law. And so once, somebody misspelled Jinx as Jonx.
0: J-O-N-X.
1: Yep, and so now we say Jonx instead of Jinx. It's not that complicated. If someone misspells something, that's the new way it's spelled. We just renamed one of our friend's boyfriends.
0: He accepts it, though, so everything is great. I haven't (laughs) figured out how to pronounce my typo, though, so... I've been saying hasten V. Okay.
1: (laughs) But anyway, those series that, um... I read primarily in high school, actually, that are not finished. And so I'm not sure how much of it is a comfort read so much as trying to refresh my memory as to what happened in those series in the hope that maybe the next books will be published at some point.
0: That's interesting that your go-to reads are the most infamous unfinished series in, in modern fantasy.
1: Yeah, I don't that probably says something about me. I'm I'm not prepared for that level of in- introspection today.
0: <laughs> okay, no, that's fair. Um I can back off that. Uh anyway, Outlanders also not <laughs> finished for what it's worth.
1: <laughs> but at least they are being published consistently.
0: Yeah. Um it's been 7 years since the last one, but we are getting a new one so we are far ahead of uh Game of Thrones and King Killer Chronicles.
1: But yeah, I think a lot of people tend to to go back specifically to those YA books I know that Percy Jackson I think has been a big comfort read for a lot of people and I'm rereading it for the first time since college I just finished I'll go into it more recently but I just finished wow that's not how words work I'll go into it more in a minute but honestly after I've read the first two series so far and I think that they will become more of a comfort read for me now because they're just delightful.
0: Now that you've sort of refreshed on how much of that there is, that's fair. I still have not reread those. But there are. there's also a pretty long list of books that I did read that came out when, like I said, in the, the years that I was sort of in middle school and early high school, not quite college as much. But Katie and I were talking and we were trying to think if there's Anything as ubiquitous as like Twilight or Hunger Games was back then. Because right now, YA seems to be. I don't know if just maybe the category is so much bigger now, or we're more clued into a broader network because of social media that books don't gain the same widespread popularity because information is spreading in such a different way now than it was when we were consuming media in 2008 when the Twilight books were coming out if things like Book Talk and Bookstagram are allowing for more people to hear about more books at a time and so we don't hear as much about one series but it did seem like back then Twilight or Hunger Games that was all you heard about if if somebody young was reading that is what they were reading
1: I'm also wondering if we're just sort of missing out on that like word of mouth reading culture. Like I'm not sure if that's been completely replaced by book talk and bookstagram or if they kind of coexist on parallel tracks because books like the hunger games. I remember when my friend Kelsey first told me about the hunger games and like she had a physical copy and that's how I heard about that book. And that's why I started reading that series. and like I don't think we really had media like booktok or or bookstagram or, or even booktube really at that time and so you know we learned what was interesting or what we should pick up to read based on what our friends were reading and I don't know like I said if that is still happening and that's like a track that we're not party to because we're not reading in high school or if Book talk and BookTube are like a true reflection of the conversations that are happening, like in the halls of a school.
0: That's very true. Both of those things could be true. Could also be the Scholastic Book Fair. Um, provided specific books that that meant a lot of people in various locations were reading all the same things because that's what was available. But yeah, definitely, um, BookTube didn't exist because YouTube at the time was like salad fingers. <laughs>
1: Yep. The Charlie the Unicorn.
0: I almost said Charlie the Unicorn.
1: The llama's one. coral
0: Or badger, 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 badger. badger mushroom,
1: badger. mushroom, mushroom.
0: Anyway. Yeah, it would be interesting to delve more into how that's changing, but I, I really don't think... I think Shadow and Bone is the closest that we would have gotten to the, like, Twilight or Hunger Games level recently.
1: Yeah. And I'm also wondering, I don't know how much of this is just because we're, like, in the moment right now, as opposed to, like, having the benefit of hindsight. I do feel like we knew at the time how big Twilight and Hunger Games were. Like, do you remember it was Twilight specifically with, like, the Twilight Moms community? Do you remember any of that?
0: Um, I vaguely remember it, and I have a feeling when we get a little bit more into some of the, like, Harry potter fan fiction website drama that will come into a lot of like twilight mom drama but we obviously haven't gotten there yet i do remember that it was like a big thing especially at premieres for the movies and book releases and book signings that it was like young girls wearing their team edward team edward or team jacob stuff and then twilight moms also
1: yeah it was crazy but also. You know, what YA properties right now are being adapted the way that Twilight and the Hunger Games were. Like, I feel like Twilight took a few years for the movie to get off the ground because I had lost interest in Twilight as a franchise by the time the movie came out, and I to date have still never seen the movies. But Hunger Games, they turned that around like immediately.
0: I think that had to do with the success that they saw from Twilight and Harry Potter.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I'm going to look at the film time for twilight
1: but other than like i feel like the only big Y adaptation right now is the grishaverse right
0: as far as i can think yeah i i mean to all the boys i loved before
1: sure yeah that's a good one i didn't read those in high school so i always forget
0: right but that that also those were out
1: when we were in high school or like slightly afterwards i think i'm thinking of more and actually you know what so we're The original Grisha first books, they were actually much older than I realized. I don't know what YA, like, that is being published, like, within the last five years, is being adapted the way that Hunger Games was.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I was only thinking of that because that's the only thing I could think of that became a show or movie based off of it. So, Twilight came out in 2005 and was released as a movie- in 2008, and the Hunger Games book came out in 2008 and was not released as a film until 2012. So that's actually a, a bigger gap than I thought for the Hunger Games, but they released the movies very shortly. Like, the Hunger Games came out in 2012, Catching Fire came out in 2013, Mocking Part 1 was 2014, and Mocking Part 2 was 2015. And, um, I don't think that the Twilight b- movies came out in such quick succession.
1: Also, so Mockingjay the book came out in 2010, and you said the first movie was 2012?
0: Uh, yes.
1: And then, when did Eclipse the book come out? It was 2007, and then Twilight came out in 2008. The movie
0: was 2010, they were actually... Yeah, so the Twilight movies were actually subsequent years, too.
1: Hmm.
0: So it was just a little bit earlier.
1: That's interesting. Uh, it, it felt longer. I think maybe Hunger Games wasn't popular like immediately upon release the way that
0: Twilight I think, was. I think you're right. I think the Twilight books were very popular as books and then also as films. And I think that the Hunger Games was slightly less popular. As books until it became a series of films.
1: Yeah, that that might be true. Although I remember it being really big when I was in high school, and if if the first movie came out in 2012, that would have been after I graduated.
0: Yeah, I can't I can't trust my own memory.
1: Yeah, truly.
0: To say, um, what which the case would be, but either way, I don't think that there's been anything that has been as sweeping as this. I mean. If you want to talk about other things, like, I read Aragon. Um, The movie does not exist, and I will not be taking questions about that at this time. (laughs) One maybe we're neglecting to kind of talk about a Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't think I ever read those books, but I really loved those movies. Those books were fun. I'm sure they were. just never, I just never ended up with them.
0: So those books came out, the first book came out in 2001 and the first movie came out in 2005. So that's a pretty similar timeline to everything else we've just looked at bumped forward.
1: Yeah, I wonder if I never read those books because those were, like, truly before I would have been, like, a young adult. And so I'm not, I'm sure it's one of those where I didn't even really realize that there were books when the movies first came out.
0: That's fair. I definitely read the books first. And then I loved the movies even more.
1: Yeah, so I wonder, like, it feels honestly like there's less YA media that's being translated to film and TV, and particularly film. Because, like, we just talked about all the Twilights, all the Hunger Games, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. I mean, Aragon did not get a movie.
0: (laughs) Did not get a movie.
1: (laughs) Um, They did those terrible Percy Jackson ones.
0: I was very excited to watch them.
1: There were, like, two of those films. Uh, w- Whatever. We're getting a Disney Plus series. It's going to be great. But Right. I, uh, again, other than To All the Boys, which, again, is more from when we were in high school and college, and then now The Grishaverse, which is older than I think we realize. Like, it's it became popular later in its lifespan than things like Twilight and The Hunger Games. Like, what... I can't think of that much media that's being produced like that. And I'm wondering, do you think it has anything to do with the failure of Divergent? Because that movie, Suvi's flopped so badly.
0: <laughs> I'd love to look in a few years and see if we see a resurgence of sort of YA movies and see if we can point back to the domino that is Divergent mm-hmm. and Allegiant. Or, well, that one was it that bad. Either way, um, that one did definitely kill a lot of people, a lot of... Industry motivation, I think, because it flopped so hard,
1: and I honestly don't think so much of it was like that franchise's fault as much as we just like we reached the saturation point of YA dystopia,
0: we and absolutely that one just happened did. to still
1: be in the middle of its cycle when society decided we were over it.
0: Yes, it's hard to say, um, and it doesn't help that we're looking back at a time when we we were actively involved in it so our perspective looking back at that is going to be different than someone who say was like an adult the entire time but was still kind of clued into this stuff
1: so we're going to talk about rereading some of the things as adults but first let's talk about some of the books that are these like more well-known YA series that we read for the first time as adults one of them is Legend by Marie Lou, which, Bailey, I know that you didn't read that one, but Not I read yet. that earlier this year. And it was published starting in 2011, so again, on the tale of the Hunger Games. And I don't want to say it's a similar story, because it's got a lot of really interesting and unique elements, but it is still very much in that YA dystopia blueprint of... There is a girl and she started out working like for the oppressive government and then she learns that the oppressive government is wrong and so she starts to kind of l- learn more about why it's wrong and start to work against it and she teams up with an outlaw boy. Um there is refreshingly not really a love triangle, which is great. But there are lots of themes of like family and like, duty versus conscience, and things like that, that is just very much in that same dystopia trope. And I'm wondering if it... I feel like it was really popular, but again, it it started being published, like, as I was graduating high school. So it just, like, fell off of my radar and is a little bit behind our times. Right. And then, again, had that misfortune to be at the tail end of, like, the, the dystopian zeitgeist.
0: I think that's probably it, because... I don't really remember hearing about it in the age that I would have been the target audience for Legend, necessarily. And I had seen it a couple of years ago. Like, I had seen it in the library and at bookstores, and it never crossed my mind to read it. I feel like I missed the boat, as you're saying, that it was not something I was interested in, necessarily. And that doesn't mean that it's a a bad book or whatever. It was just not something on my my radar at the time and it does sound like it was a little bit on that tail end where I probably burnt myself out on dystopia I'm not gonna lie I do have a tendency to go all in on like one type of book and then not read it for like three years
1: Mm -hmm. and I will have more to say about that uh, in a little while when we dive a little deeper into the Hunger Games but (laughs) um moving on
0: I actually recently read the first book in the Gone series by Michael Grant Shout out to Nicole once again.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, is that the one that Nicole... That is the one that Nicole
0: uh, (laughs) told us about. And I'm definitely going to read more of that series. And I don't know why I never heard of it back in 2008. I guess because I was getting ready to start high school and probably was like, I don't need to read those books. Who knows? Or they just (laughs) weren't... they, They didn't make the word of mouth rounds where I was. A lot of people in grade school, I remember... I mean, obviously, people were reading Harry Potter. Um, people, a lot of people re- read Redwall, the like series by with the the Mouse Warriors. I'm not ringing a bell. Katie's looking like she has no idea what I'm talking about, and that's kind of fair. I'm
1: googling. I'm googling. Okay. Uh no, I have never seen this in my life.
0: Okay, so many people at my um middle school. I'll say I went to a K through 12, but like middle school age read those books.
1: Not familiar to me.
0: Gotcha. Well, um, I recently read Gone, and...
1: And that's the one where it's kind of like the society, that Netflix show, right? Where, like, all the adults disappear.
0: Oh, I didn't know that that was a Netflix show. But yes, everyone over the age of 15 disappears.
1: So sort of a, a like, updated Lord of the Flies concept.
0: A little bit. But seems more drawn out. Honestly, it was, I think, around 400-plus pages, which I felt was really long for... The age group that it's kind of going for
1: yeah that is really long i've read a lot of ya books this year and they tend to hover around 300 pages
0: right i it just kept and i was reading it on kindle so i didn't really have a good idea of how long it would be and it just kept going and i wasn't complaining because the story had room for it to keep going i just was surprised goodreads lists the um 2008 publication hardcover as 560 pages
1: Geez, that is quite chunky for a young adult novel.
0: Yeah. And then. That's
1: another one that until Nicole had brought it up, I don't think I'd ever even heard of
0: it. I was genuinely surprised that we had never heard of it because it seems like it would have gone really well in that time frame of mm-hmm. like dystopian kids have to be the ones to make the change or save the world or etc. Yeah. Like, very... The Maze Runner.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, the Maze Runner is like, all these kids are alone. And obviously the kids aren't alone in the world, but when they wake up in the box, they don't really know that. Huh. That just occurred to me as we were talking. Now, I'm gonna have to... I'm gonna have to think about that.
1: Um. We also... I mean, we've gone into the Cretia Burst pretty in-depth uh we spent three episodes on it but that's another one that is a-, a YA book that we read for the first time as adults and I think it honestly holds its weight pretty well
0: I think that we had a lot of criticisms for the first book in the Shadow and Bone series and far fewer criticisms for the same reasons in the Six of Crows series mm-hmm. and I do think that is LibraDugo's writing writing from an original YA. Now, if I had read Shadow and Bone when I was younger and was rereading it, I probably wouldn't have noticed those criticisms.
1: I also think that if I had read it when I was younger in general, I wouldn't have noticed most of those things, and I would have been absolutely feral for that series. Like, I would have been insufferable about the Grishaverse.
0: Are you saying that we were not briefly insufferable this year when the Netflix (laughs) show came out?
1: We totally were briefly insufferable, but I would have been, like, long-term, made it into my personality, insufferable. Okay. That's fair. (laughs) I also, the other, like, the only other series that I can think of that sort of falls into this cultural phenomenon category that I have read this year for the first time as an adult is... The Caraval series, which actually is fairly recent. The first one came out in 2017. Right now it's a trilogy. And it's actually pretty unique among these in that it's sort of like YA the the Night Circus in setting, where they're at this like mysterious circus type place and they have to like play a game to win their greatest heart's desire, or whatever. I don't know, it's really complicated, but...
0: The illusion, the mystery, the magic, that has a similar flavor. The competition is slightly different, but... Yes.
1: Yeah, but it's... It's... I guess in that way, it's a little bit Hunger Games-esque, but it's very much not dystopian. It's more fantasy and, like, magical. And so I think that that is, like, an interesting evolution of why it's a genre that we can talk about. But I read the, those books. I really did enjoy them. It was one of the first series of YA books that I read this year where I was like, oh, like, I am an adult now. And without the nostalgia attached to it, I'm like, I'm not as into this.
0: And I also read Caraval but have not read any of the other books. And I can say that that probably plays a role in why I did not like it very much. It was fun. Um, but I didn't feel any sort of drive to continue the series or read it again or anything like that.
1: Yeah, honestly, the only reason I finished the trilogy is because I already had them all three checked out from the library. Um, fair. And I mean, they were cute. But again, without that nostalgia factor and without having like been the target age group, that one wasn't as much for me as an adult.
0: Yeah, and I think that's fair. So just sort of
1: talking about, so now we've finished talking about some of the things that we've noticed or the series that we read for the first time as adults. Now we're going to circle back to the ones that we have reread that do have that nostalgia factor attached to them. And we're going to play a game a little bit called, do we think it holds up? So Bailey, you're going to get us started with Artemis Fowl.
0: Yes. So technically Artemis Fowl probably leans a little bit more towards middle grade than YA, but it was definitely a series that I consumed rapidly. Like, I needed the next book as soon as I finished the previous one. Um, I loved everything about them. The covers, the uh, Young Boy is a Genius. I was a sucker for anything like fairies or fae. I still pretty much am, but like definitely was then as well. And rereading it, was fun. It's pompous. I think it was pompous back then, but I didn't care.
1: I mean, back then, at least speaking for myself, I was a shitty little know-it-all, and I related to shitty little know-it-all main characters, and it made me feel good to be like identifying with a character who was smarter than all the adults.
0: Yes. I mean, I still enjoyed it. I don't think that it necessarily holds up as like an enjoyable adult novel. I think because it was a little too young versus a lot of the more like young adult things.
1: I think that's fair. And I think that that perfectly sort of segues into Percy Jackson, which I have just read the first 10 books. So there's, there's multiple series. The first series is Percy Jackson and the Olympians, and that's five books. And then there's the Lost Hero. or no, sorry, the Lost Heroes, just the name of the first one. There's the heroes of olympus series which is five books and so those are the two series that i've now finished and the first series is also very much more middle grade like percy starts out as a 12 year old and
0: he gets a cool sword pen i love it
1: Mm -hmm, yeah um is his sword pen riptide and it's a lot of fun the first five books especially the first two or three where it's just kind of a nonstop adventure. They're very fast-paced, they're short, but they have like a lot of action packed into them. But, you know, the protagonist is a 12-year-old and a 13-year-old. And they're just sort of like fun, quick reads. But then when we get into the Heroes of Olympus series, the second series, we start to get a lot more depth. The books get longer. It's definitely geared towards... You know, most of the protagonists are now, like, 16 and 17 as opposed to 13. The books get longer, the pacing slows down a little bit, and there's a lot more, like, character-building and character-driven plot as opposed to they just end up at a rest stop with where the purveyor happens to be Medusa, you know? And it's really interesting how well Rick Riordan managed to, like, grow and develop that series, the characters, the content, um, I'd say that the first series holds up as just like a fun middle grade series, and then that second series really was fun to read in as, as an adult. I'm not even sure I intended to read all five of them before this episode, because they are longer, like the audiobooks were closer to like 16 to 18 hours, as opposed to like 9 to 11 hours. And I just, like, could not put them down. I just devoured all five of them in, like, a week.
0: That's fair. It does sound like Rick Riordan did a good job of growing his his books to his audience as they also aged up and needed a different type of book. So maybe I should spend some time rereading Percy Jackson as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had, I've had a great time with them so far. And I'm excited the next series in the larger universe, is The Trials of Apollo, which I have never read before. So this is going to be wholly new material for me once I get into those. So anyway, the ruling is that overall, Percy Jackson holds up.
0: Nice. The next book I reread was A Great and Terrible Beauty, which, as you know, we have um, brought up a couple times. And if you don't know, listen to our back catalog. It's only 10 episodes. God. (laughs) Anyway, um, I reread A Great and Terrible Beauty by Libba Bray. There is a lot of details I forgot in this book, and I did find myself kind of annoyed at the 16-year-old protagonist uh, (laughs) because it was a very... I'm sure you've all seen the meme of like me as a kid when Ariel wants to go marry a man she's never met, me as an adult when Ariel wants to go marry a man she's never met. Um, That's how I felt with this protagonist. We're very much the adults now. Yes. I was like, oh my god, you're 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 being very whiny. But it was also it does um have a lot to say about how powerless women felt in their positions and how many secrets they were holding and things like that. I'm going with a complicated answer here because I don't think that it's strictly held up, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that means it's not a good book. I just think that means that it was very clearly written for its audience, and that's why it doesn't resonate with me anymore. Is because I, I just couldn't. I found Gemma to be a sixteen-year-old girl, and that's fine, because she is. Mm-hmm. I those aren't, um, emotional struggles I have anymore.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, listen. Have you listened to Olivia Rodrigo's full new album?
0: <laughs> At least four times.
1: Okay, so I love Sour. I think it's incredible. I love Olivia Rodrigo. There was a point listening to that album for the first time where I was like, wow, I am really no longer a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> like, right. She is feeling a lot of feelings often. Yes. And um, I, like, I very much am out of that phase of my life. Not to take away at all from her artistry, and this is not even calling her immature... I think that she did a really wonderful job with that album. It's just, it's it was surprising to me how many times I felt myself thinking, oh, I, I really don't relate to this
0: anymore. I mean, imagine hearing some of Taylor Swift's songs from that age, for the first time as an adult. For sure. I mean, now all of us have all these things tied to Taylor Swift, like growing up listening to Taylor Swift, so we don't necessarily... Mm-hmm. experience it without that attachment anymore but i can see that but yeah um sourbanks i it slaps whatever it
1: does it absolutely does brutal is incredible good for you is an anthem yes it's great and um like god help joshua bassett for the rest of his life
0: right <laughs> so i might reread the next couple books in a great and terrible beauty i do distinctly remember like writing on my friend's facebook wall about these books all the time in early high school. Mm -hmm. But I just don't think that it holds up as well when you're no longer the intended audience.
1: Mm -hmm. This is one where, like, I am excited to reread it, but also almost a little bit scared, because I read them in seventh grade, and I remember, specifically, I remember which friend recommended them, and so seventh grade to high school even is like such a big like leap in maturity and preferences and i have not thought about those books since other than when we're joking about them on the podcast right and so it's gonna be really interesting whenever i eventually get around to it to see how my feelings have evolved
0: right and i definitely didn't remember the pacing correctly like it's an 11-hour audiobook, which is fine. That that's a medium length. Like that's mm-hmm. but I forgot how much stuff happens in this book. There's constantly a new thing and that's very YA. But somehow in all of my memories of it, I had made it into more of an adult paced novel mm-hmm. where we get like a lot of background and we learn about Gemma and all this and we don't you don't get that in the book. So it was very interesting <laughs> to uh, re-experience that and be like, oh my, oh my God! There's still more. Wait, there's still two hours. Mm-hmm. So overall, I'm going to um end a great and terrible beauty with, yeah, mostly, but not quite.
1: Okay, okay, that's fair. I had I'd fully intended to read a great and terrible beauty before this episode, and I'd also intended to read the ugly series, um, but. I then finished The Hunger Games, and I, like, just needed to take a break. Because, god damn, The Hunger Games is a bleak fucking series.
0: Yes. And for the record here, um, I want to say in m- mid-early 2020, I reread The Hunger Games and Catching Fire. But I did not reread mockingjay because i refuse to acknowledge mockingjay.
1: <laughs> uh so that's fair. So i reread the hunger games the first book was more or less as i remembered it. Um you know, it's it's still very bleak but it's it's really adventurous and fun. It is more like graphically violent than i think i had remembered. I think my my brain has sort of sanitized it because it is a YA novel and it is solidly YA and i think now that i'm adult I, i'm an adult i just don't realize how uh graphic we are allowed to make YA, YA novels because you know the violence and that was was something else yes but other than that i it was more or less as i remembered Cashing fire i remembered less of like i remembered all of the same beats but i i don't think i really remembered how it was structured like there was a full half of it that was just like the victory tour and then the second half of it was the Quarter Quell, and I don't know. For some reason, I thought that that was structured differently. But again, most of that was more or less as I remembered it. And then Mockingjay, I had remembered like the major points to an extent. Like I remembered they were in District thirteen. They eventually like went to the Capitol. I remember Gale being a war criminal, um, and I like vaguely remembered the end. But holy hell was that a depressing like no longer all no wonder that all millennials have depression because we all read the hunger games
0: (laughs) and that's what's getting me like your reaction to this has me concerned for rereading mockingjay which i probably am not gonna do i'm not gonna lie um but like how did this become such a phenomenon like everyone was obsessed with it Everyone is a pretty general term, obviously. It wasn't everyone, but it was very, very popular. And we were all just like, oh, yeah, this is fine.
1: It's one of those, I don't know exactly how to put this, but like, you know, the movie Coraline. Did you ever watch
0: it? Vaguely. I have also never watched it.
1: So I I think I saw it once and it just like, let me see when it came out, just so I can be accurate about this. Coraline came out in 2009. So we were in high school and that movie freaked me out very badly. I was not interested in it. I thought it looked weird um, and scary. But, like, it was a kids movie and kids loved it. And they didn't, like, like either the freaky stuff was just, like, more fun for them or, I don't know, it just, like, didn't affect them psychologically the same way it affected me. And I'm wondering if there's some sort of, like, brain development thing where, like, I'm sure the the teens that read Hunger Games, us included, and the teens that are reading it today, like, fully grasp how like depressing it is but i'm wondering if it just doesn't affect them long term as deeply because of like where they are in their development i don't know just a
0: i am not um, a psychologist and i'm definitely not a developmental psychologist so i just want to (laughs) preface with that but i could see there being something with the way that we internalize what happened or like if we're just reading it and moving on Um, versus things feel more real when you are older, I think, is basically the shortest way of saying that.
1: Especially, like, so much of The Hunger Games is about, like, politics and, like, government, and I think it's maybe hard to take that as concrete when you're younger and you don't have as much of a, like, insight into how it actually works in the news. Yes. I don't know. I again I'm I'm not trying to like infantilize teenagers. Like they they clearly have understandings of what's going on. It just it's affected me so differently and so deeply as an adult than it did as a kid, and I'm just trying to come up with
0: reasons for that. Right. And that's what I mean with like your reaction, I I'm also trying to think on how that why that's so different. Um but I will say I also I did reread Scott Westerfeld's Uglies, uh, Pretties, and Specials. I did not reread Extras yet because I don't happen to own it. Um, And I was in a bit of a slump earlier this year, so I grabbed those off the shelf. And in today's world, as an adult, I think I noticed a lot more of the social commentary he was putting in there than I did as a kid. As a kid, I thought, oh, fun dystopian where you get surgery to fit society's ideas but the teenagers are rebels and are going to are going to break society's ideals and these like perfect quote unquote communities um and now I'm seeing the things that he was kind of saying when he built these perfect communities and and what he was doing when he had the teens rebel
1: Yeah I think maybe it's that as teenagers we were able to see a lot more of that as theoretical and as adults we can see some of the real world analogs of it and so it's 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 less theoretical and more like oh these are parts of our real world that are like super fucked up and it's really depressing
0: right i definitely picked up on that he was commenting a bit on like beauty standards in uglies but it didn't it didn't sink in the same way as it did now as an adult
1: right i actually so i i finished hunger games and like just had to take the rest of the day and then i started i like started uglies and i got like 30 minutes into the audiobook and i was like i i just cannot do this right now I'm i'm
0: still way too well way too depressed you needed something a little, like, lighter. Maybe you should have read The Click.
1: Maybe. I didn't have it already checked out at the library, though. So I ended up reading um, not actually lighter, but um, the new Megan Miranda thriller.
0: Oh. <laughs> so,
1: not lighter, <laughs> should... but not depressing in nearly the same way.
0: Right. You knew what you were getting into a little bit more. Um, <laughs> that's funny. I did... Okay,
1: but but on a lighter note, really quick about the Hunger Games. Um, this is maybe going to be my greatest shame, like, the worst thing I've ever divulged on the podcast the first time I read the Hunger Games in, in high school I liked Gale
0: Wait, is that a were we not supposed to like Gale uh,
1: not according to what the kids are saying today and or uh, what happened in my latest re- read I mean he was, he was like a straight up war criminal in the third book
0: <laughs> to be fair I have said it before and I will say it again Mockingjay doesn't exist in my brain I have no idea what happened in that book <laughs> um,
1: that's fair but I, I, like, straight up didn't like PETA the first time I No, I, I, I mean, read I
0: definitely, distinctly, the first time I read... Well, so the thing was, I read The Hunger Games before Mockingjay came out. Okay. So I had to wait on Mockingjay. So I, I was I definitely, too. in the first book, I was definitely Team Gale.
1: Okay. At least I'm not alone. That makes me feel no, better. No,
0: I... There was... I remember there being a a decent split when these books were first popular. Maybe it is different today. Maybe um knowing what happens in mockingjay does affect that but i don't like as someone who only read say the first two books or whatever I, that wasn't the same thing
1: yeah i will say i kind of had a an epiphany about why i don't love friends to lovers most of the time just as a trope and it's because it makes me really uncomfortable when like one friend Makes it known that they have feelings for the other friend, and the other friend is like not there yet. It feels like a it like a really weird power dynamic and position to put somebody else in, and that's why I like again I wasn't really Team Peta this this go around either. I like I see why Peta was the better fit for Katniss. Um Really, she just had trauma and needed somebody to comfort her. Right. Like, neither of those men felt great in the moment, but it just. I don't love the, like, oh, I've been in love with you my whole life, and I'm just waiting for you to see me trope. It feels icky to me.
0: Yeah, I think I ended up settling on Katniss needed um alone time, and I was not team anybody.
1: Yeah, I think that that's definitely the correct,
0: the correct thing.
1: And, like, it's fine that she and Peeta ended up together, but it was... I don't know. Even throughout, like, her point of view throughout the whole book, she was like, I don't even know if I like either of them or if I'm interested in dating anybody, Um, but this just keeps, like, being shoved in my face so that I can survive.
0: Well, like you said, there was a lot, a lot of politics and power at play that affected things like that, and her, her decisions especially, so... You know.
1: Anyway, my ruling overall in The Hunger Games is that it holds up and I have depression now.
0: There. i mean um,
1: I, I totally did before but it's worse now
0: yes now we will move on to a light-hearted book to follow up that i i guess <laughs> i reread the click which is thoroughly middle grade <laughs> uh thoroughly middle grade which is fine but it was available at the library and my friends and i were obsessed with it in like seventh grade which is what the age that the main characters are in the book. So it kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Definitely got at least one of them at the Scholastic Book Fair. Uh, The covers (laughs) were plaid, different colors of of plaid all the time. And I absolutely loved that. Um, I made a MySpace layout with the plaid for sure.
1: Oh my God, I love that.
0: Or I'm sorry, it wasn't MySpace. It was Zanga. (laughs)
1: Zanga! Oh my God.
0: It was not MySpace. It was Zanga, which I think is...
1: Bailey, Bailey, um... I used to run a Zanga where I would put, like, illegal download links to, like, MP3 music songs. Um, and if you're uh, in law enforcement and you're listening to this, no, I didn't. But um, that was my, like, that's what I did on Zynga. <laughs> I helped people
0: pirate music. I just had layouts, basically. I mean, it was a vehicle for layouts for me, like.
1: I did also do that. I would, like, people would, like, give layout requests and then I would, like, make them even though I am not at all an artist and I don't know why they were coming to me.
0: Yeah, the thing was I couldn't – I had to always get icons from other people who made icons. I didn't have, like, mm-hmm. photo editing software, so I could do the HTML codes and, like, color coordinate and move the, um like, blocks around. I don't remember the word for them, but, like, I, I couldn't make the icons for anything, so I had to get those from other Zango websites. Anyway, we digress. Uh, The Click is a product of its time. (laughs) There is a show that talks, like, a lot more in-depth about The Click, a podcast. It's Girls Like Us, which um, is a line from the book at one point. The Click book is... I always have said that it feels like a gossip girl for the younger set. So (laughs) it's about rich kids on the outskirts of New York city who have like all the designer clothes, they get whatever they want, blah, blah, blah. And so I think it was, um, the reality TV in book form for middle schoolers.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You get to live vicariously.
1: I don't think I ever read the click, but I was very familiar with it. Like tangentially, like culturally.
0: Yes. I mean, so, it was a a fun little romp into the materialistic arts and that's that's really all that can be said for it. There's not a lot of um necessarily like especially in this first one, good lessons learned yet about friendship <laughs> or anything like that. So
1: uh does it does it hold up yes or no? Um
0: no, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Decisive no. <laughs> I can't wait to read some of... I'm not going to do it unless I get really bored one day and really want just something that takes absolutely no brain power to read. Uh, Some of these later ones are even crazier, I'm sure. But like I said er, before the call, I started reading um, Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, which I know has had some fairly mixed reviews, but I'm pretty into finding out what happened so far. So,
1: Yeah, I'm excited to read it. Um. I think he he bought a lot of goodwill from me with how good The Martian was.
0: I have and not he, read that. He's
1: definitely still. You haven't read The Martian.
0: I know. Bailey, look. I just wanted to. I. It's fine. I'll get there.
1: Okay, Jesus. It's very good.
0: I haven't seen um, the movie either. He, that helps, like it's just it's a blank slate to me.
1: Okay. Well, you should read them. Read it and watch the movie. It's very good. Um,
0: you're like generally aware of the plot. Um, th- this man is stuck on Mars and he's terra-farming in his little contained atmosphere. Th- this man is, um, uh, Matt Damon.
1: Uh, yeah. that I mean, that's basically it. But the, like, draw is that, um, Andy Weir did, like, so much research and almost all of it is, like, scientifically correct. Like, down to things where, like, he calculated launch windows and, like, determined, like, what days things would actually have happened. Um, and so it's, like, but it's, it's very scientifically accurate and correct without at all being, like, dry or boring. He makes it super interesting. Anyway, so he, he bought a lot of goodwill from me, and I enjoyed Artemis, which is his last book before Project Hail Mary. Um, especially, they did, like, an audiobook that was read by Rosario Dawson. Um, she read the audiobook, and so it was really interesting. And so even... Like, even if this is not, like, up to par of his other works, like, I'm still gonna enjoy it because I enjoy him as an author.
0: Well, I can assure you that there is a lot of science. I cannot assure you to the veracity of the science. Like... It's fair. It's there. It's there. I just... um. Yeah, that's... We'll leave it at that. I can't tell you if it's true or not because the things... The two things that um stumped me the most in college were uh physics and math. And space travel takes a lot of physics and math. So. That's fair.
1: Anyway, back to Young Adult.
0: Yeah, we got a little sidetracked there, but a little less, like, off-the-wall sidetracked than last episode, I think. That's okay. We're charming. Anyway. People come here to listen about books. We just broke into a different type of book than is on the title of this episode. It's okay. (laughs)
1: Truly. Back to Young Adult we were just going to close out by talking about like overall how we think the landscape of young adult books has changed. And I think the first thing that I would point out is that a lot more authors of color get published in YA now and their books get a lot more popular.
0: Yes. um, One of Katie's original notes when we first were putting just ideas to paper for this, episode was feeling a little white in here was katie's note
1: yeah i mean who like i had marie lu on the list and it feels like and jenny han um and i think those are the only two authors of color on the whole list we were just like brainstorming what books we could read or reread um and those are the two authors that i had not read as a kid so
0: yes Looking at this list, there's, like, so many other things we could talk about, but we didn't necessarily read them. You know what, though? I want to circle all the way back to the very beginning, just really quickly, when we were talking about something sure. that got um, sort of translated into a different form of media. A series of unfortunate events has had two adaptations, one of which was... Mm, and the TV show, which was... Better at capturing the tone.
1: The TV show was very good. Yes, I, thought.
0: I mean I, I really enjoyed the it.
1: Only the only thing that I would give the movies over the TV show is I really liked the Jim Carrey Count Olaf. Um, I mean Neil Patrick Harris also did a good job, but the show was really good.
0: I think that the rest of the show was enough better.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, leagues leagues better.
0: Anyway, I just wanted to circle back to that because I saw that in notes and I was like, wow, someone out there I'm sure is like, how could you forget about a series of unfortunate events? And you're right. That, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't an oversight. Because I also loved those books. I loved, like, the wordplay, all of that. Like, it was... Anyway. Mm-hmm. I
1: loved learning new vocabulary in the books I was reading because I was a little stupid nerd.
0: I also um, did not know how to pronounce um, the sixth book, the one with the elevator, until the TV show came out airsats yep
1: um the only other thing that i'll mention looking at this list is um the mysterious benedict society which started being published and i think it was like god now i'm gonna have to look it up why do i never just write things down
0: we really do end up spending a lot of time looking up the years of things (laughs) during the podcast instead of just taking the note while we write it out
1: Truly, we need to get better about that. Anyway, so the first Mysterious Benedict Society was published in 2007. So that would have been as I was entering high school. But it is much more of like a middle grade series. But it has recently been adapted to a TV show on Disney+. And I saw that it was coming out. And so I read the first two. And they're very cute. And they're very much the same vein as a series of unfortunate events but like way less messed up. That's fair. Some of the things that happened in a series of unfortunate events were like shocking.
0: Yes, definitely. I mean, I think the and the TV show knew it. Mm-hmm. Um I haven't reread the books recently, but I watched the Netflix show and the TV show knew it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Mysterious Benedict, Benedict Society was very cute and the uh, show on Disney Plus is very cute and it stars Tony Hale and, um, Kirk uh, Kristen Shaw.
0: Gotcha. We're great. Okay, back to anyway. uh, I guess where we were with um, wrapping up the sort of thesis of this episode is the the changing landscape of YA and YA popularity and things like that. I definitely think, as you said earlier. Be it because of Divergent or not, the landscape of the adaptations has changed. And that probably affects the popularity of the books themselves as well. Because there are certainly people who read the books only because the movies existed.
1: For sure. And I also think that um, there are definitely still, like, tropes and, like, waves of, like, current trends and fads in YA but it's it's much less omnipresent as like the the dystopian genre
0: or even like vampires and werewolves had their moment after twilight
1: yeah totally yeah there are still trends but it's not as like every single book you pick up is not going to be the same trope anymore
0: right and I I do feel like the one thing that I noticed as a through line is hardly even a trope and is truly more like a through line, and that is my beloved Faye.
1: Yeah, that's definitely the, uh, the the trend and the fad right now, but a lot of the popular ones have that, but there are also plenty that are still very popular that fall outside of that trope.
0: Right, and guys, this is an SJM hate podcast. <laughs> I was just going to say, A Court of Thorn and Roses doesn't really qualify as YA. It just doesn't.
1: No, they had to publish it there originally because, um,
0: where else can you publish things for women? Right. Publishing industry. So, this isn't actually even hate. This This is hate directed at, like, the publishing and marketing of things and less so at the actual books. Because I actually don't think that there's anything wrong with fairy porn, if that's what you want.
1: You just cannot publish fairy porn as YA.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's my problem with it today. Because <laughs> it's like, I have no desire to read Ice Planet Barbarians. I simply do not.
1: Uh, you know what? It It's almost gotten me. I, I looked up to see if the library had it available, and they didn't, so I didn't look any further into the matter, but... The curiosity has almost gotten to me.
0: Right. Like, I feel like it's in that same vein for me. Like, that's great that they exist, but it would be like, if someone tried to suddenly publish those as YA, I would have the same questions I have.
1: Yeah, there would be an issue.
0: Um, just because there are fairies in it does not inherently make it YA. And in fact, I think a lot of good Fae stories are really dark and also shouldn't be YA. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's because I like the trickster part, the trickster side of the story. Mm-hmm. like don't trust them don't invite them in
1: we had a trivia question the other day that was um like what are lepreca- leprechauns actually like are they it was like are they gnomes gremlins fairies or something else anyway they're fairies leprechauns are fairies
0: right jeez if you had just reread artemis Fell you would know that <laughs> i don't know
1: i mean i got it i got it right anyway cuz i'm very smart
0: but that's really you're right
1: i should have just reread artemis Fell
0: it would have been you know called for I just looked at my bookshelf and I can't believe I didn't see this before but I don't think it was very popular um did you ever read The City of Ember
1: What's the author
0: um Jean Dupaul DuPrau Hold please D U P R A U It was published in 2003 and it's post post-apocalyptic so it's
1: Absolutely not. No, I did not ever read. That. Okay,
0: so it's like a lot earlier and also not quite dystopian, but um, I loved that book.
1: Yeah, I mean, it looks cool.
0: There was a, sorry, there was a movie. I haven't heard of this movie, so I feel like it must be um like one of those things that didn't happen. But anyways, if you have read. The City of Ember. Um, let us know. Yeah. Because I recently saw one single TikTok that was like, did anyone else know this book? And now I also want to know if you guys knew it because it didn't seem to be very popular, but I was obsessed with it, so
1: Yeah, I've never heard of it. It looks interesting though.
0: Yeah. Uh and I guess with that
1: Yeah, we kind of spiraled out of control there. I don't know if we have like a closing thought other than just
0: do you have anything else you want to say about, like, YA, uh, reading YA as adults?
1: Not really. Other than just I'm interested to see, you know, like, ten years from now, I'm interested to look back and see, like, what really was popular and if anything ever really does fill that Twilight Hunger Games void.
0: Yes. And I'm also really interested to see, like, in another ten years, if I remember to reread some of these same books again and listen to this episode and see how my thoughts on them have changed again Mm -hmm. growing up anyway yeah it's
1: not, not the best but you know
0: at least i have adult money now so i
1: can do whatever i want
0: yeah that part is nice
1: other than own a house but that's fine
0: yeah well that's a societal problem, not a you problem. <laughs> True. Wow, we're, we are really getting out of pocket here, so... <laughs> um, we'll see you next episode, and don't forget... We are right. And we should say it.
1: Pour yourself
0: a glass of wine Let's start reading in between the lines. Never know what we might find. Yeah, it could be magic. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Prose Tinted Glasses is hosted by Katie Phillips and me, Bailey Utrecht. Our logo is by Baby Truth Collections, and our theme song is by Anna Voss. Her EP, Wild Honey, was just released. Go give it a listen. In two weeks, we will be discussing Samantha Shannon's The Priory of the Orange Tree. Come join us then. And in the meantime, be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It will really help us grow. Thanks, and see you soon.